Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast. What we do is we talk with CEOs, entrepreneurs, authors, and the crazy people who have completed incredible accomplishments. They tell us about how they achieved their success, which inspires us to make a greater difference in our world as well. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy inspires leaders to grow their companies by designing world-class strategic plans and help keeping them accountable to get it done. To learn more, go to 40strategy.com. We often do a shout out during our podcast, and the shout out goes to Cameron Dorn, who knows Bill Maxwell here, our future guest. Cameron is the CEO of Suitcase of Courage and a current, another world record holder. He's been previously a guest on the show, episode 92, and you could go back and find him on November 22nd, 2022. Anyways, an incredible person. They're both from the small, both from the same small town, I believe it is, in South Carolina. And that leads us to Bill Maxwell, who's our guest today. Bill is currently the Director of Athletic Performance for Olympic Sports at Iowa University, University of Iowa. His focus is primarily with the men's basketball team. And prior to the Hawkeyes in 1997, he served as Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach at the University of Kansas. He also oversaw strength and conditioning for the Jayhawks Olympic Sports as well. He has a bachelor's degree in physical ed- education from East Carolina University where he competed for the Pirate football team. He also served as a graduate assistant coach at Kansas, and he also has a master strength and conditioning coach by the Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coaches Association. With that, Bill, welcome to the Measure Success Podcast. I'm excited to be here. I'm so happy to talk with you, Carl, and get to be part of this community that you have. No, it was it was exciting. You know, Cameron recommended you and he's like, you got to talk to Bill because he has this incredible story behind what you have been able to do and accomplish and and, and overcome, you know, in, in your life. And so, Bill, why don't you give a little bit more detail of you do one of these things that's really interesting. You're the kind of the person behind the person to make sure that these athletes that are performing on TV and have full ride scholarships are or sometimes partial, depending on which sport it is to perform at their highest. So tell us how you got into this business. You know, how did you get into deciding, hey, I want to be involved in this, involved in athletics and support it. So tell us about that story. Honestly, I grew up in a small town, Joel, South Carolina. And Cameron, you know, he's he's about 20 years younger than me. But, uh, you know, it, it, I just loved, you know, working. My father, you know, instilled work, you know, my father and my mother instilled a work ethic. And so, you know, I just kind of fell in love with lifting weights. And back then you just, you kind of just figured it out. <laughs> you would go read muscle and fitness magazines, try to take bodybuilding and uh, apply it to sport, sport, you know, training. And, you know, you did the best you could. And as I evolved and earned a scholarship to East Carolina, I, I just fell in love with strength training because it was more organized at the collegiate level than it was at the high school. And, you know, one of my favorite people was my strength coach, Mike Gentry, and then later Jay Omer. And as I was there, I just, you know, it was just fun. I became, became very intrigued with the process. And then 
I, I was going to say goodbye to my strength coach when I graduated, day before I graduated. He says, what are you going to do next year? And I was like, I don't know. I guess I'm going to grad school. You know, I don't know what the, what the next step is. He says, well, have you ever thought about being a graduate assistant strength coach? So I said, no, but sounds fun. He says, well, I have a buddy out in Kansas who's looking for one. And so sending my application, you know, waited around about one week before I was supposed to be there. He says, hey, I need you out here in a week. Packed up, moved out, you know, and then, you know, the rest is history. And that's what my whole, you know, my whole life works, man, is this profession. So what I always love about the podcast, when you start talking, do you ever, do you ever come across Bill Pearl or his old books? Yes. So it was literally, I remember when I was in the, my younger years, like this is, this is going back to the eighties, right? Where literally we would have these books and you would do exercises, right? Based on these books. And they'd be like, oh, based this Mr. Universe. And, and, you know, if you made the old Arnold Schwarzenegger's world, like we would follow these, that would be the way we'd exercise. And I remember, remember the old days, the plastic, you know, weights and it had like sometimes sand in them. And, and that was how we worked out. I used to drive myself two miles to a friend's house and worked out in his garage. And when he stopped wanting to work out, I worked in it alone, literally, you know, when, when nobody else was working out. So things have come so a long ways from that period of time. I'm curious from your perspective, how much has strength and conditioning changed? From, here's somebody who's in the business, right? How much has it changed from back then to what it is today? Well, work ethic and, and intent to do things is still the same. I mean, that hasn't changed. But the methods by which you can do it, you know, are so vastly different. I mean, it's, you know, it's just like the difference between pre-internet and now. It's that big a difference with the advancements in strength conditioning. So one of the biggest challenges that that is occurring right now is being able to filter out what is a good advancement and what is not, because so many salespeople are coming at you with all their technology and all their new devices and equipment devices. And when I look at, you know, trying to, you know, put these things into place in our program, I mean, we serve over 500 student athletes in the Olympic sports. Now, yes, I'm very focused with 15 of those, but, um, I, you know, I have to think about being broad based with my programming and what I want to do with all these new technologies. And, you know, and some of them are sizable investments. So that's the hardest thing to do right now in our profession is to try to filter out through the technologies that are being coming out, like just months by months by months. I don't want to assume something here. So, but what I've seen, and, and I have some kids who are involved, my, some of my kids are involved in college mm-hmm. collegiate sports, the wearing, if you may, of some type of detection system, right? Where it's monitoring everything, right? It's monitoring your movements, your speed, how much you're resting. Is this something that's really common at at Iowa in terms of conditioning and on the practice court? Tell me about what you're doing or not doing in regards to that type of technology. So the wearable technology typically is like, you know, inertial measurement unit is what they call them, IMUs. So as you move through space, uh, it records like like the force of what that movement is. So 
in essence, kind of, it kind of does some algorithm to create speeds, to tell you what the speeds are. You know, it's not ex- super precise, but, you know, you can create more systems around where you have like kind of this radio transmission field where it will tell you exactly how fast you're going. So there's different levels of these inertial measurement units. We have done multiple versions of those. We continue to use that with our outdoor sports, such as field hockey and soccer, because it's dependent upon how much the coach buys into the process and how much they want to take the the information and go with that and, and build it into their programming. So... It kind of goes that way. You know, a lot of coaches are going from their experience. We, we as humans pretty much rely on our experiences to tell us what maybe the path that we should take. Okay. We try to stay with things we're comfortable with. So coming up with these new technology pieces, some coaches don't want to do that. They, they want to stay with the tried and true and rely on intuition. So part of that is figuring out that sweet spot between using the technology and the intuition of the veteran coach, because their intuition is generally pretty good. They've been doing it for a long time. And if they have a high level of awareness, you need to take ownership of that coach's awareness and blend that in with some of your technology pieces. So there is kind of like a little you know, dance back and forth with that. Let's, I want to go back to, once again, it's so interesting, you know, time periods, right? Of, of going back to like the 80s as an example of like, mm-hmm. where, once again, it was so, arch- it felt archaic, but it was the thing and everyone wanted to get bulky and strong and, and, you know, get muscle, so to speak, you know, big, <laughs> big packs and big, big biceps and triceps, <laughs> et cetera, right? You know, that was like the thing for male, for male sports. Yeah. And so we, as we move forward today, you know, there's been a lot of, once again, knowledge and understanding that's taking place where back in the past, like work as much as you can have some rest in between sets, but just work hard. Now there's so much data that appears like that's talking about rest and, and time in between reps and even in rest in between games as an example, right? To get the optimum amount of performance at each particular day or, or, or you know, back-to-back games, let's say, for example, over a weekend. How much have you applied that and how here you have like this intuition, right? Of, of understanding rest and not rest. Is that a big part of it today? And do you track that type of stuff in terms of rest to make sure that the athletes are at their highest performance? Well, we use a device called Omega Wave, which is testing their heart rate variability. So it's going to tell you the stress that the heart is, you know, sensing upon the body. And also it's giving you DC potential where you're finding out what, you know, what's the state of the nervous system. And when you're done a lot of work and you're drained, you'll see low responses there. And so at that point, now, if you have a competition, you just got to suck it up and go. I mean, we we returned from a trip in New York City at 5 a.m. and we had our arch rival the next day. And we had a game with them, top 20 team. So, and we came out and we played well. Well, we had to. It was it was we we weren't going to have an opportunity to rest and recover. It was just it was the way the schedule was done. We had no control over that. So, 
but you don't want to go to the well too often in doing that repeatedly. You, you can do it on short occasions, but within your training system in the off season, if they're showing that they're suppressed, you don't want to be trying to train speed and power because speed and power takes a lot of neural demand from your nervous system. So that's one of the reasons why at that point you would may choose a lesser training modality, such as just general strength, where you're doing steady state training. You know, you might be doing movement mechanics and things like that, doing some circuits to just steady, low intensity, getting some aerobic work done. And then that's what you call it. You call it a day. Okay, without giving away information to your competitor that you just beat on uh, the previous night, <laughs> mentioning down there, but no, but just, uh, kind of big picture, actually, perhaps general knowledge. But I'm I'm kind of curious, what have been, if you may, the key performance indicators that have made the most significant difference over the past 20, 30 years? Where it's like we know by focusing on this that it has the biggest impact in the outcome than anything else. I expose. By training, explosive strength is is the biggest thing where you've seen that, like especially compared to the 80s. The 80s, we were just focused on building strength and, and lifting the barbell as much as possible and trying to add. It was more like we were like geared towards power lifters, uh, where you moved as much mass as possible. You didn't concern yourself with the speed of it. So now... You had a phase of like, okay, like transitioning over into Olympic lifts, such as the clean and jerk and the snatch. And the athletes would try to move the bar fast and it would be loaded. And then you kind of, now we're, we're at a different stage where we still want intent to move fast under load, okay? Under some load. We do some things without load, but... For the most part, we're doing some things with load and we're trying to move as fast as possible. The thing is, the Olympic lifts, are, it, it, it's a lot of investment for teaching the movements. Our athletes spend so much time in the technical and tactical portion of their sport that they don't get the chance to spend a lot of time in the strength conditioning and, and spend all that time learning new movements such as a highly technical lift like the snatch or the clean and jerk. So with that, we are looking through different technologies, different pieces of resistance, because now there's ways where you can load the resistance on the vertical portion and then unload it when they're coming down. You know, it's, it's a little bit more expensive, but there's the technologies that are out there. And then it also allows it to be a smaller orthopedic cost to the student, to the athlete. So that's what we're trying to look to do so that they don't have to have those big impact forces when they do an explosive lift, such as a clean or a snatch. And then also you try to find ways to teach that these devices can teach it better. Then on your other days, you work on movement mechanics and and some maybe some plyometrics and things like that. So those are some of the things that we try to do. And that's where, you know, the field is going, I think. Olympic lifts are still very good. They work well and they are very cost effective. I mean, you have barbells and dumbbells and that's why people use those devices. I'm 
I, I still do some of those movements, but I do limit it and it's not quite as much as I used to, but I still do explosive training. I just do it with different equipment, different methods, different techniques. And then I'll do other things to make sure that we're doing, you know, higher, high, I should say, what am I trying to say? Like movement mechanics, making sure that they have good mobility and things like that. It's, is these new form, you know, the new forms of exercise and is it helping to decrease injury while exercising as well? Is that, is that also happening during it? Or, you know, give me an idea of, cause that's always the risk, right? You exercise and you actually get injured while trying to build your body up, right? Versus it happening while training, so to speak, in their actual event or sport that they're doing. So how much have these new exercises, if you made that, the moving towards, have they found there's a correlation in being able to reduce injury to sport? No, there is. What happens is you have athletes that may not train as intense because they are confident in the lift, the Olympic lifts. So they may not be as aggressive. So you're not getting as much out of the lift. And usually what's happening is these are showing in our force plate data. You know, while we have our, that's why we use, we have three force plates in our weight room. And then we have one in our other weight room where we measure every student athlete at least once a week in a counter movement jump. And we're looking at how efficient they are at lowering their body into a jump and then accelerating out. So that's timing everything. Time down, time at the bottom, time up speed that they did that, how much force they were putting into the plate as they left the plate. And then, you know, taking those analytics and charting those through courses of time and seeing where our athletes are progressing. Are they getting better in their reactive strength index? That's our key performance indicator. So that's a relationship between how much time it took them to jump to how high they jump. So you can still jump high if you squat down deeper and push really long and hard, you will jump high. But we want to try to get athletes to jump high in a very short amount of space. So like a short, quick punch. And that is what we call reactive strength index. This is why I love the podcast. I mean, that that is a whole new definition that I hadn't heard there beforehand. And and I love it how you have it. It's a standard. You are literally measuring success in this on a weekly basis with every single one of your athletes. So that is the core key performance indicator. And then I can yeah. imagine there's leading indicators, right? There are things that you're doing to help improve the likelihood of that being successful. Correct. So we're we're saying one time I hired a, an assistant about 11 years ago and he he came in and he asked me so well, how do you know your program's doing well and i was like well they're getting stronger well how do you know they're getting stronger well they're lifting more weight does that mean they're getting better at are they becoming better athletes and i was like you know i don't know so i started to ask, ask those questions now i realized we are only one part of the equation we are only one part of the equation you still have to have athletes that have that are psychologically resilient you know that are competitors you also have to have highly skilled athletes okay and then you got to have athletes that are smart and understand the tactics of the game 
And then we just add the physical element of the physical, you know, the, the preparation of them in the physical state. So that's, that's our element. So we're, that's my goal to put them in a place where they can excel in the other elements. And that's what, you know, that's, that's kind of the definition of what I do. And we, we want to measure that though. We want to know exactly, is my program getting better? Such as we had an athlete that was a, you know, number four draft pick last year. He was MVP of the summer league. So he had a drastic improvement and we had implemented a new method of training with him. Now, once again, I would never say that we are the answer for why he excelled and became a fourth round draft, number four draft pick. But there were some things that were, that, that put him in a better spot, you know, so that he could execute those skills a little bit better. And it happened, you know, then he built confidence and then those things just keep going and then coach can put him in a different tactical situation. So every element kind of builds upon the next element to the next. And then, you, you know, and hopefully that all, you know, displays in the ultimate measure of sport wins and losses. <laughs> you know? So That's right. Yeah. It, it, let, let's talk about this mental side a bit. And, and once again, I don't know how much you get involved with it or not, because there is this confidence, right. Of being able to lift more weight or to perform at a higher level, even with those exercises that you're doing as your key performance indicator, right. There's, there's a bit of mental doing it right having this yeah. confidence that you can actually perform well you like you might have the physical skills but there is some mental barrier that's making you think you can't get past it right when we've known this for years you know like the four minute mile it yeah. was broken all of a sudden all these people start breaking it and it was just literally just that you just need that one person to cross it but until then nobody seemed like they could do that that pass that line so what i'm kind of curious what what your university does but what's common these days in terms of helping out with the mindset to be a better athlete? Well, we have a large staff of sports psychologists. So we have one, two, three, four, five. I think we have, we have five sports psychologists people on staff. So we are, we have that process and they, they're, they're working with mental health and then also they're working with performance um, measures also. And then from us as strength condition coaches, we try to focus on process. We try to deal with process, things that we can control. And that is, a, that is the one thing that many athletes fail to take notice of. They will be so engaged with the outcome goals. And we want to think about process goals. Can you show up with eight hours of sleep. That's a process goal. That's something you can control, all right? So we wanna focus on that. Can you show up fueled and ready to go? Did you have breakfast? Did you have lunch? Did you have a pre-workout snack? That is a proper snack. And are you hydrated? And then from there, can you show up consistently with good energy and intention? Those are process goals. And so we try to spend more time on those things because 
those will yield the greatest results. That is the biggest, and I know that is simple, but that yields so much, you know, and it goes back to habit formation and trying to just constantly replicate those behaviors which will lead them into a good space. So you're speaking my love language right now, Bill, in terms of what I mean is if you aren't in business where a lot of the listeners are, they're entrepreneurs or CEOs or they're management or they're working within a company and they're working out, well, how can, how can I, they're so focused on the result, right? Sports, it's the win, right? Or perhaps it's their points that they're scoring in a basketball game, right? That mm-hmm. they're, they're scoring that outcome. But what the real, how you really improve that is what are your leading indicators? What are the actions you could do in preparation to have a greatest impact in the outcome? Because those are the things you can control, right? Yep. You know, you can't control your opponent. You can't control in other sports. You can't control the weather. You know, if they're outdoor type sports, you can't control so many different aspects. But what you can control is your preparation and the actions that you're doing on a consistent basis. When it comes to sales, you can control reaching out to prospects on a timely basis with the right way of saying it to get a greater likelihood you're going to increase your sales. And what you're basically saying is in 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 athletics, it's the same thing. If you focus on these leading indicators, you're more likely to have the greatest outcome and performance. Yes, there's no doubt because there is, you know, scientific data which will show that, you know, sleep is closely related to skill development. I mean, Stanford did a basketball free throw study where people who slept more, where their men's basketball players who slept more shot higher free throw percentages. And it's a very well-organized study. So they're kind of some of, you know, Stanford is one of the leading researchers in sleep studies. So that is there. And we also know nutrition will put you in a better state so that you can, you know, work so that you can train and that you'll have the fuel to continue that training. And then you can recover with better, you know, fueling practices. Obviously, you have to be hydrated. We know that, you know, and then obviously consistent application of skill instruction. You know, we know that that is important because, you you know, what you practice is what you become. So we know that that's a factor. No, I I said I I love this is once again why I love the applications like people ask, why would I bring on an athletic trainer right at a university at college sports collegiate sports and it's because of this the correlations between business and your own personal performance at work and your your performance on the athletic fields there's so much correlation between them and more we learn right the connectedness it's like that sleep part i think is a hard thing for a lot of us myself included right i i sometimes pride myself on the six hours of sleep and i'm good but would i be better with eight Right. You know, and, and of course we have to be careful of like each of us are built a little bit differently, you yeah. know, and each of us have different biorhythms, et cetera, et cetera. So we got to be careful of like saying this is true. But what we do know is if we do get more sleep, we're more likely to be having higher performance. If you sleep while it's dark, yes. When it when it when the sun is down and you're sleeping and you're sleeping at a consistent rhythm, we know that the body operates on a clock and it's it's geared towards sunlight and we know that and so the more that you can do that the better that you can get your biorhythm to in alignment with that and get you know seven to eight 
you know, we know that that's, that's work. Now, numbers can change. I, I had two young children at the same time. And I, you know, and I had a lot of five, five thirty workouts. I mean, I, I, I went on four or five hours of sleep. So, you know, like one of the things I, I've learned was, you know, just like when we got back from this previous trip that I outlined earlier, you know, we got in at five, I slept from five to 10. I got up, I had five hours of sleep. Yeah, I was a little groggy. Went to bed a little bit sooner that night. Got, you know, maintain, you know, I hit eight. And then the following night, I hit nine. And then I was kind of back in the rhythm and I felt pretty good. You, you don't want to stray too far from, you know, your standard. And if, you, and if your standard is not very good, what we frequently say is it's hard to understand what good feels like until you know what good is. Mm. So True. you're just, that's just where you're at. <laughs> so once you get, get to the point where you've practiced it and you've felt it, then you're like, okay, this is, this is what I should be feeling like. And, and this is ringing way too true to me, this, the sleep thing. I was recently in Nashville, which is one of my favorite places to go to the United States. And I love listening to music and, and going out. And the problem is you're out later than you ever would be normally. You know, you know next mm -hmm. thing you know, it's way too late. So you sleep shorter that night. And then, yeah. then I was writing a book and I'm working on releasing something. <laughs> I was up till 1 a.m. And, and like, for me, that's a big deal. That's like really, late. you know, I'm typically try right. to be in bed by 10, you know, at least, you know, crawling into bed by 10. And it's amazing how that difference, how your attitude, your performance, you know, you, you like, I think somebody said beforehand is you you're stealing from the next day, right. When you don't get the right amount of sleep or you don't do the right things the day before, right. But you could end up taking away because you're not going to be able to perform as well that following day. So let's, I think you did an amazing job describing quote unquote, the business that you're in, right? The University of Iowa, you know, the strength athletics and but not only the Olympic sports, but in basketball where you're primarily more focused in. So let's pop over the personal side a bit, right? So you've had some challenges, you know, it, you've been in also a lot of successes in, in your life of what you've gone through. So what habits have you done in, in your life to help you do your own personal best performance. You know, what, what are the things that you've learned? You know, here, here you are coaching it, right? You know, and I, I'm kind of curious, you know, how much do you walk the walk yourself, right? Yeah. Of all the things you've learned on a regular basis. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny. I'm in charge of picking out, like when we're selecting the menu items, like our, our you know, our staff will pick a, a restaurant based upon like, can they get the food to us, you know, like, you know, for the bus trip home or something like that. You know, because some school, some restaurants just don't want to deliver a, a 40 person order, you know, so we, so once they find some place and so it's always one of these things. So I'm going through marking off the things like, okay, we're taking out high fat, high fat items, you know, for our post, because, you know, our athletes have you know, already gone under, you know, intense, you know, efforts and we don't want to acerbate inflammation. So we're trying to keep that down. And so we're trying to minimize their exposure and we know how fat can do that at times. So I'm, I'm going through that. And then all, all the athletes know, like, they know like, well, all right, coach Maxwell's got the weirdest thing with the vegetables in somewhere, somehow and he's figured it out. So they know that like, whatever, I, I, I'm always the person that says, 
okay, give me the player's menu to order my food because the staff gets to order, you know, whatever they want off the menu. But I, I go off the player's menu and because they know that. So I'm not, you know, I'm not allowing fettuccine Alfredo, you know, in, in a post game, you know, right as we're flying out at 11, you know, 11 p.m. or something. So those are some of the things that we go through. Uh, you know, I am a big believer in getting vegetables in. I eat a lot of spinach. I eat broccoli frequently. I'm trying to increase having fermented foods. That one's a struggle for me. So I'm trying to do that to boost my immune system. I've, I've battled a couple of colds here. So I want, I want to get, you know, get prepared and be, you know, through this winter, winter months, be a little bit better. Um, you know, drinking water is my, you know, I drink water and I drink coffee. You know, that's, that's the two things I drink and I make sure that I get enough water and I'm encouraging our athletes to do that. I'm encouraging our athletes to figure out ways to do it better. So like, if you don't like, you know, water's bland, Hey, get a flavoring. Like, I don't care whatever you need to do to make it taste good for you without adding sugar. Like, okay, let's do that. So understanding those things, I'm a big proponent of that sleep. I make sure I always get my sleep. I'm going to bed frequently. Now that we're in season, I'll go a little bit later. But when we're in, you know, out of season, I'm going to bed at 11 or, or 1030, something like that. Make sure I get seven to eight hours of staying consistent with my training, you know, making sure that I get my, sometimes it's aerobic, sometimes I'm doing anaerobic, you know, you know repeat sprints on a treadmill or whatever doing strength training, doing that also. So I do walk the walk. I try to do the best I can. You know, I am aging and I've got some, you know, hip issues and things like that I have to work around. But, you know, things that, uh, you know, I want my athletes to know that what I expect of them, I hold myself to that same standard. So the seven to eight hours is like pretty well known for most people in terms yeah. of how, how much you just sleep. Water intake. What is what is appropriate if you let just let's keep it really simple. If somebody's a hundred pounds, right? How how much ounces of water should they be having on a daily basis? Frequently, I hear an ounce per pound. I I think that that's maybe probably you know a little bit on the excessive side. You know, I'd say somewhere, you know, you're talking at least. 0.5, I would say at least 0.75 ounces per pound, somewhere in that range, depending upon, once again, how much are you sweating? What's the conditions? You know, how much activity are you doing? You know, if you're in a humid environment, you're going to probably up that above that. If you're in a dry environment, like during the winter here, it's, you know, in Iowa, it's, it's cold and you're not, it's dry. You're not, you're probably not exercising quite as much. You, you know, that intake can come down some. So I think that that's just one of those things. And I always make sure that I've got a 20 ounce glass, you know, first thing in the morning, boom, I, I down it right off the bat. First thing I do. And then I try to drink water before my meal, because for me, I'm trying to not take in quite as many calories <laughs> as my student athletes. So my student athletes, I might say, if I'm trying them to be more, you know, gaining weight focused, and I might say, Hey, Take some sips of water, eat more, let's get more calories into you, then start drinking water as long as they've had their water through the day. So those are just different tactics that we go through. So question, how do you measure success now in your personal life? 
I have three action words that I put on my wrist right here. And it's courage, it's adventure, and it's compassion. And if I can practice one act of those, of each of those words each day, then I've had a successful day. You know, com compassion may be just, you know, acknowledging that the person that cut me driving is maybe they're in a rush to get home to see their child. Or, you know, maybe they've really had a bad day. Just, you know, like, take a breath. It's okay. Everything's like, we don't know the full circumstances of that person's situation. So trying to show a little bit more of that. Adventure. Take a different way home. In a museum that I've never been by, that I've walked by multiple times. And I'm like, go in there. Let's see what they've got. Talking to a person that I might not talk to. That might be. Courage is you know, saying hello to someone or, or putting my, making myself vulnerable to a person and sharing a story with them so that when I see that they're down or that I see that they don't have much engagement with others, you know, like always try to make sure that our custodial staff that's around the building, I always try to say hello to them. You know, I'm bad with names. I forget names often, but I always try to meet them with a smile and say hello and say how's your day you know with good intent so those are some of the things that i i focus on in my personal life and what i try to do and you know i've been doing this probably about three years and you know i i feel much more at peace and much you know i'd say fulfilled like i'm making an impact that's a great measurement right you said right there right we were there there's success but fulfillment is truly a wonderful measure of success right where where you you can sometimes win your goal or win your what you're tracking but if you're still not filled you have to ask the question are we really doing the right things right and yep. so i love it how you brought that up of I think that's an important part of what you're trying to trying to do and and experience right through through everything which i, I think is incredible all right the book what book do, would you recommend for our audience today I would say Atomic Habits by James Clear. It, you know, I think all the things, I think we're motivated. I think everyone wants to do the right thing, but sometimes they get bogged down with all life and things like that. And, you know, they get distracted by multiple things. So Atomic Habits is one of the things it's like, okay, get the behavior pattern going. And then how do you do that? How do you get those behavior patterns set? And then what you do is you try to eliminate all the things that would interfere with that behavior pattern. And then eventually that thing gets grooved in so well, that behavior pattern, and it, and it is in alignment with the goal that you have, whatever your goal is. And that's one of the things we have to make sure is that that behavior pattern is in alignment with what we want. And I think you do that over and over and over and repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And that's how you do it. And then you just try to build the best environment you can to fulfill that behavior pattern because ultimately you know that behavior pattern is going to help you towards where your goal is. So that's one of the best books that I've read. Another book I like is Simon Sinek, Leaders Eat Last. And then I have a third book that I like is The Brain Always Wins by John Sullivan, which kind of, you know, it, it, it lets you understand like 
the awareness. So you have awareness about what's, how your brain operates and why you may have certain thoughts. You're not a bad person. It's just you're wired that way in certain aspects. Now, if you have an awareness about that, when you come about those certain situations, you can implement a different behavior pattern. And so those things kind of all work in together. And, you know, leaders eat last. I love group psychology, group dynamics, and figuring out what works good for a, a team. So that's one of the reasons why I love that book too. Great suggestions, all, all three of them. Bill, how can people reach out and ask you questions to learn more about what you're doing and gain more understanding? Well, I'm at HawkeyeSports.com. So I think I've, I've left our contact with, you know, Hawkeye Strengths. If you do HawkeyeStrengths.com, it'll lead you. I don't know the exact URL pathway, but it'll get you there. And then, you know, obviously I'm easy to find with on, I'm on Facebook. I'm on, I do have a Twitter account and I do have an Instagram account, but those are more to see other people's <laughs> things. <laughs> I'm not very active on there other than reading research or reading someone's methodology programming and things like that. So it's always best to just reach me by email. You know, it's William-Maxwell at uiowa.edu. Perfect. No, thank you for adding that. And Bill, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure having you on the Measure Success podcast today. Thanks a lot, Carl. I appreciate it. And to everyone else who's listening, I hope you've enjoyed this. I know I have. I, I love this information, not only how it can be applied in the athletic realm, but also in the business and personal side. Really great insights you provide us today, Bill. And I really appreciate that so much. And then to everyone else who's listening, we thank you once again for your encouragement. We're near 100 episodes now of the Measure Sus podcast. And we just thank you. If you could please make sure you go out, rate us. We become one of the top 1.5% global podcast. So keep on giving us ratings. That's how we keep on climbing the charts. So without your support, we would not be able to get there. So thank you so much and wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.